The only Savior, no one else, no one else through history has come down from heaven to show us the way and then give up his only, only life and his only son for us. And we have a God who loves us and shows that to us. That's why here thousands of years later on a different continent, we say Christ exalted over all because he deserves it. He has saved us. He has saved us. And we never forget that no matter what's going on with hands lifted high and with joy in our heart, we have forgiveness of sins through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for every single one of us, advocating for us. God is good. So we'll continue to sing to our Savior. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's pray to the God on the throne. Come boldly. Father, God, you are better than we deserve. God, I have to admit with my own heart, I forget. God, I I become enamored, enamored and amazed by things that perish. And God, I forget the good news and my heart has to constantly be reminded of it. And you give us things like communion things to constantly make us remember so we keep our eyes set on the thing that matters most. That God, in those dark moments when we're alone and we're isolated, maybe can't even sleep at night because we're so acquainted with our sin and so overcome by the reality and the reality of our hearts that we we love the world and we're prone to wander and we feel this all the time. And God, we're overcome with condemnation. The cross is there. Jesus is there. Your word is there. You are advocating to us, for us, showing us that we are forgiven and there is no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. So as your people, God, we sing not because we we think something's going to work out for us, but because you have secured victory already in the past. And through faith in that, we have that victory alongside you. So God, encourage our hearts this morning as we open your word. Let me speak your words let us see truth and I pray that we would be forever changed always by your word as we hear and we believe. Pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Genesis chapter 2 is where we are going to conclude the chapter and pause on our series about how did we get here. We've been in Genesis and we're concluding two today and we will do a Christmas series in the next few weeks and go on into January. Let me recap a little bit for you. We talked a couple weeks ago about the garden life. Bjorn told us about the way that God had set the world up and he had set the garden up and how it was good And it was the best place that God has created to live the good life. And then last week we heard Todd telling us about the garden life and what life was like in the garden and what Adam and Eve experienced from God. Purpose, provision, and protection. Today we're going to talk about the complete life and how God completes man And a very interesting story that we all know, but a very interesting reality of what God does for Adam to complete his life in the garden. And it's painting a bigger picture. And we're going to see that today. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt this? You ever said this before? Help. Something is missing in my life. 
that's not right. Help, something's missing in my life. You know, I feel this way anytime I'm sitting down for some type of holiday meal and then I get this feeling deep inside and I'm like, wow, wait, something's missing here. And then it hits me all of a sudden. I start looking around for the brown goodness. I'm like, where's it at? Where's it at? My nose is looking for it. My eyes are looking for it. And then, oh, there it is off in the corner at the table. Could it be pecan pie? Yes. And I'm complete. Or when you get peach cobbler and you take that first bite and then it's like right there in the pit of your stomach, you know, something's missing. What is it? What is it? Where, where's the vanilla bean ice cream to melt on top of this goodness? Right? The, the feeling that something is missing in your life, right? If you go out into the snow without shoes on, something's going to happen. Even if you're not aware of it, something's going to happen as soon as your feet hit the snow. That's going to tell you something's missing here. You're going to have an experience that's going to shoot up all the way to the top of your head. And you're going to realize, I forgot to put shoes on, right? Many different areas of our life where we realize something is missing. Now, we can joke around a little bit. We can talk about all the different things that we feel like are missing in our life that we can have fun with. But let's also think about this. The reality of being a human on planet Earth, the reality is for everyone from Japan all the way to Alaska, over here to Michigan, down to Florida, over to Russia, down to Antarctica, if someone's there up to the North Pole, no matter where you find yourself on planet Earth, everyone's going to understand this. Because every single one of us knows what it's like to fill our life with stuff and to only at the end of the excitement of something new feel the waning and the invasion of boredom and the invasion of something still missing. And so what? We hurry and we scurry and we buy and we strive and we do everything we can to try to plug the void in our life. But everyone on the planet Earth would say something's missing. Everyone's looking for purpose. Everyone's looking for an answer. Everyone knows something is missing. You know, if you come to Genesis chapter two, you see here where we're going to look. Something is missing in Adam's life in the garden where it was good. Something is missing in Adam's life, and God lets him experience that. Let's read the passage together. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Look what the Lord says. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, to the birds and of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said this. At last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. I want us to answer this question. We're going to look back through the passage. I want you to see this. Here's the question. How... Does God, how does God complete Adam's life? If we're seeing in the garden here, still on the sixth day as God's making it, he zooms in to show us kind of what he did on the sixth day. 
There's something missing in Adam's life and it's incomplete. So I want us to see what God does for Adam to complete, to fill the void. Let's look at it together. The first thing is this. God reveals a problem. Verse 18, look what he says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. Very interesting. All through chapter one, up to this point, everything that God has been doing, when he says something, he creates something, he says, it is good. And then he comes to man and man is there. Adam is there. And God says, it is not good. What does he declare? It is not good that man should be alone. Now, here's what we don't know. It doesn't appear that Adam is aware of his loneliness at this point. God is the one looking down and saying, this is not good. If you go back and look at every area where God said that is good, it it always seems to have to do with there being something incomplete or something void or empty and God filling it. And so as you go through chapter one, you're seeing this progressive filling of emptiness and God saying, good, good, good. Oh, and it's good. And he's filling the earth. He's bringing the dry land. He's, he's bringing the trees in and the livestock. And he says, it's good. But man has this dilemma. God looks down and he sees Adam, just Adam. And he says, this is not good. There's a purpose in all of this. So look what God does next. God makes a plan. Look what he says here in the next part of the verse. He said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. God makes the plan. God reveals the problem and he makes a plan. I'm going to make a helper fit for Adam. Very interesting word, helper. Now we know, spoiler alert, who is this helper? You guys tell me, who's the helper? Eve. Why would God say, I'm going to make a helper and not a woman? Well, he's using a title, a very interesting title that if you read through the Old Testament, just about every time I can guarantee it when you hear God referring to himself as the helper for Israel or the help that someone needs, the aid or support that Israel desperately needs, it's the same word. And so God is making a plan here. And let me ask you this. Do you think that in the process of God writing his word and giving this to us, do you think that this is random that God like is coming upon this and like, oh, something's wrong. I got to fix this problem. Or do you think that there is a purposeful story that God's trying to do here? All of this is intentional. Man being by himself, the woman not being created with him yet. All of this is purposeful. So God reveals a problem. He's alone. This is not good. It's not good to be alone. That word alone, by the way, means separated. Something's missing. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Then look what happens next. God, interestingly enough, helps Adam see his problem. God helps Adam see what is wrong. So he does this. He says in verse 19, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call him, showing man, having him exercise and use his authority. I created you to be my co-regent, to take my creation and to rule over it and subdue it. That's what we're told in chapter one, I think in verse 28 for the man and woman, to be fruitful and to multiply, to have authority, to exercise that and subdue the earth. And so Adam, God is allowing Adam to start that process. He takes every single animal in the air, on the ground, and he brings it to Adam. And what does it say? It says here, every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call him. 
And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name, a man exercising authority. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. And then it says this, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Think about this. If God would have just created woman in the moment, along with Adam, there wouldn't be this problem. There wouldn't be this loneliness or this aloneness that Adam is starting to experience. And I don't believe he experienced the loneliness until God paraded the animals in front of him. This is purposeful. Again, this isn't random. God's like, there's a problem. I've made a plan. And I want to help the man see the problem. So, hey, look, every single animal that's coming before you has a partner, has a companion. Look, name them. Exercise your authority. And I would imagine, no matter however long that this took, as time is going on and on and on, Adam's starting to feel something deep down inside. And he's not looking for pecan pie or for the vanilla bean ice cream on top of the peach cobbler. Though, yes, amen, Lord, help us. That's great. And that is missing if it's not there. As the animals are being paraded deep down in the heart of Adam, he's realizing, I'm missing something. Everyone else has a helper, has someone alongside them, a partner, a companion, fellowship. But I don't see among all of these creatures anything or anyone that would be what I need. And God is purposefully allowing this process to happen in his heart. So God helps the man see his problem. Look what happens next. God is going to provide the solution. The man gives the names and then he realizes there's not a helper fit for him. So look at verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. God provides the solution to your problem to his problem no helper helps adam see it and now the solution what does god do it says he put he put adam into a deep sleep and and when i read that i'm like you know god man does not need help being into a deep sleep because my wife tells me all the time i never hear the kids screaming or crying and i can sleep through everything all of our uh three girls that have been born through the pregnancy or through the infancy apparently i was always in a deep sleep so god apparently still does this for man does he not Maybe I do hear it and I'm smart enough to pretend I'm in a deep sleep. I don't know. Let's see. Never. God puts Adam in a deep sleep. But this is an interesting deep sleep. This isn't just sleep. This is, this is the same type of term, terminology that's used right before people see a vision. So I think alongside him being put in a sleep, God's doing something and allowing him to be able to see the process that he's doing because the whole point is for Adam to see this. I believe Adam's able to see what God's doing, even though he's sleeping. So whether God gives him a vision or a dream, who knows? Either either way, Adam is getting the lesson. And what happens? It says here, a deep sleep fell upon the man, and while he slept, God took one of his ribs. Now, spent a lot of time studying this and looking at this, and the word for rib simply means side. Now, we've always thought about the woman being taken from the rib, but I want us to actually think 
a little bit more broader than that. It very well could be, and scholars mostly agreed that this, this probably should be translated one of his sides, that God takes literally almost and splits Adam in half and takes a side of him. Very possible that this is what's happening. And Adam is seeing this happening. Takes one of his sides and he builds woman with the flesh and the bone from Adam. And he's seeing this. Now what's interesting, Adam means, is the same word or a variation of the word for ground. And the beasts are formed from the ground. Adam's formed from the ground, dust of the earth. But then you have this very, very special, valuable creation that is different than all the other ones. Everything else made from the ground, but woman is made from the man. God is doing something and wants Adam to see something here. He says this. He said in the rib, or you could say the side that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made God with his own hands built into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You see that at last part? What emotion do you see there? Do you see boredom? Do you see like, okay, cool, God. Or do you see relief? Do you see a culminating climactic moment within Adam of having pain, of seeing loneliness and feeling an experience that something is missing in his life. God allows him to see that. So when God builds this woman and he places her before him, he's overjoyed. He is overcome with emotion and affection and passion and romance in the moment to see for the first time ever the most valuable creation alongside this man apart from the animal's woman. And he says, this is at last. I didn't find it among the animals, but God provided something for me. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She's just like me. She shall be called woman. Very interesting. In the Hebrew, it's very similar to the word man. Just like woman and man sound similar. There is a difference though. Same, but different. Distinct in their essence but different, you could say, in their ministry. And it says, because she was taken out of man. You know, it's very interesting that in the first book of the Bible, something that was written probably somewhere between three and 4,000 years ago is pointing out in the midst of all of the universalistic cosmic creation takes time to dedicate a great section of the chapter to God forming male and female and doing it in a way to tell us something, to point out the significance of gender, to show that God has chosen in his creation of man who's made in his image to put the image in two instead of one, to show man that he's alone and it is not good to be alone. And I want you to know that. And I'm going to place my image, not in just you, but in a sense, you're going to be split in two And my image will reside in both of you. And so the image is not necessarily complete until the two come together, which is the last verse. Look what it says in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. 
I love that Dennis read from Jesus' prayer, desiring that we would be one as they are one. And you have here at the very, very beginning that God's doing something where he's separating man and creating two distinct people so that when they come together as male and female, they create the complete image of God. And even in their heart and in their emotions and their need for companionship, they find completeness in marriage. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What chapter's next right after that verse? Chapter three. You know what happens in chapter three? Everything's great. And then everything goes wrong. And we finally get to why we are where we are right now. There is not a surprise and it should be no surprise that today, even thousands of years later, the thing that we find that we are wrestling with is how to handle the identity that is found in both male and female. Gender is under attack and that is not random because the enemy, the serpent, hates God, hates his image, hates anything that has to do with God and will do anything to mar and destroy the image. No wonder we find such a battle between gender identity today. God has created something beautiful both within male and within female. And it is a beautiful thing. This whole passage, think about this. Husbands, as you have your wives, this whole passage is to help Adam see how important and valuable the woman is, the wife is, the co-regent is. And when this was written, it would have blown the minds of all the pagan religions and their ideas of women. God exalting and putting within him the image between male and female. Within the curse for both a man and for a woman, all of us are cursed to not be able to accept God's creation perfectly. And there are going to be things and rhetoric that's going to cause triggers within us and offense because deep down our flesh, as Galatians 5 tells us, is contrary to the spirit. And we're going to be very acquainted with the mind of our first father, Satan, the devil, and still have those things within us. And we're going to see the war from the earth and from the pagan godless world rage against the ways of God. And we're going to even be able to understand it in our own flesh because we still have that flesh. God has created two genders, male and female. And the image of God resides in both of those. And to try to distort it is an effort of the enemy. Because there's a bigger picture that's happening within male and female. There's a bigger picture that's happening within marriage. There's a bigger picture that's happening. Look at the last thing we see for Adam. Adam is abundantly blessed, is what it says. It says there at the end that man and man was with his wife. It says they were both naked and not ashamed. God has given things for a reason. There's a reason fruit grows on trees. There's a reason God's created it so we get hungry. There's a reason that when we feel naked, we want to cover that up. All of this is a picture that God does. He gives us all these constant little creative things that are pointing to him and our need for him. You know, we get hungry, so we go to food and the food satisfies us. That's supposed to remind us of the hunger deep down inside of what's missing for him that we need him. And so food, it's not just about food. It's about hungering and thirsting for God. And so this, there's this picture we see in scripture, this picture of the lesser to the greater, this, this picture of the physical to the spiritual, this picture of a storytelling that God is doing constantly of a shadow to the real thing. 
You see it all over. God does something, he creates something, and it's important down on our earthly level. But if it stops there, we miss the point. If we just stop now and we make this just about man, love your wife, wife, respect and honor your husband. If that's just what it's about, then we're not completing the picture. In a sense, our life is incomplete. Isn't this about the complete life? God completed Adam's life in the garden with woman, but God was doing something even bigger through that. Turn to Ephesians chapter five with me. Turn to Ephesians chapter five with me. And I want you to see the greater from the lesser. I want you to see the spiritual from the physical. I want you to see the real from the shadow. Ephesians chapter five. Verse 22, New Testament, Ephesians 5, 22. Paul says this. So now we're fast forwarding many hundred years later. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. That's the physical. That's the lesser. That's the shadow. There's a reason for that. There's a reason this is so important and marriage is such, such a very important thing. There's a reason God has these roles. There's a reason I am a male and my wife is a female. There's a reason. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any other such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. You know what Paul's thinking about when he's writing that? He's thinking about the woman being formed from his body back in Genesis because woman was taken out. He's literally watching his own body being used to form a woman. So he's saying, love your wife as your own body. And look what he says next. Paul's thinking about Genesis but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ of the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. He's quoting Genesis. And the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis. He's going back all the way to beginning in what God had did. Hundreds of years later to show why this is so important. He's reminding them of what, how God created it. But he reveals something even more special. Look what he says. He says, this mystery is profound. What mystery? The mystery of man and woman coming together to make one union. That's been a mystery all of this time up until Christ came, up until Paul is giving the revelation and up till now we're reading it to understand why God created this complete life in the garden with man and woman in marriage. Look what he says. This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Christ and the church. Marriage this whole time has been screaming The gospel, the creative process of God creating marriage screams the gospel, which is why it is so important that we strive to live as husbands and wives in the way that God made it in the distinct roles that God's given us equal in human form, but distinct in our ministries as our roles reflecting and creating the complete image of God as I live as a man. And as I live as a woman, if you're a woman, Together in marriage, bringing the complete image of God together 
doing something more than that, showing the beautiful, ultimately screaming the beautiful picture of the gospel where Jesus lays down his life for his church and all those who believe in him are married to Christ, married to him because he sacrificed himself for them and we become one with Christ. The church and Christ become one. And Jesus prays, as Dennis said, prays that we would be that way. And marriage is that thing that screams that and tells that and shows that. Now, if you're single, this is not an indictment against singleness because this isn't a message about go out and found a wife because you're alone. But I want you to think of this. If you feel lonely and your desire is for companionship, that's normal. And God has purposefully put that in you because he wants that to constantly remind you of your passionate, affectionate, romantic need for him. I think sometimes we become too judgmental of young people and their, their passion for one another. Yes, there's danger there. Yes, there's idolatry there if it's not careful. But God put that in us. The Song of Solomon is this great, passionate, romantic anticipation for the joining of flesh. And romance, God created that because it is supposed to remind us of how our affection should be on him. That we need him. We should want him above everything. So that's Adam. That's how God completed Adam. But as we're finishing up here, I would be remiss if I didn't ask this question. How does God then complete us? Looking at this, what God did for Adam, how does God complete us? If this is a a lesson about marriage, but not just about marriage and something bigger, what is the completeness in our life that we are missing? Remember, we said this, help. Something's missing in my life. Every single one of us can relate to that. Every single one of us can relate to that. How does God help us in the moments of the night, in the moments throughout the day, in the moments of our life when we know deep down in the recesses of our heart, despite all of our efforts to plug the empty hole with something, something's still missing. How does God complete it? Well, it's not much different than the way God completed Adam's life. First of all, God reveals a problem, does he not? sin. What happens in chapter three? The enemy comes, disobedience comes, sin enters immediately. They're no longer naked and ashamed. They hide themselves because they've sinned. God comes along and he says, where are you? They reveal themselves and God says, what is this that you have done? And because you have done this, you're, you're now cast out. You're cast out. Naked and ashamed. But immediately, doesn't God make a plan? Doesn't God make a plan? Immediately, he looks at the serpent. He said, cursed are you for what you've done. And guess what I'm gonna do to you, serpent? I'm gonna take this woman who I've called helper. Guess what the name helper kind of sounds like? Sounds like the word seed and through her seed. She's truly going to be the help to the man because through her is gonna come a seed of a man who's gonna become the snake crusher and he's gonna destroy your head. Therefore, this command that I gave them before they even fell to be fruitful and multiply is gonna have full purpose because they need to multiply, be married, have children because the savior is going to come through the seed of the woman, not through the man, through the woman. And she will show herself to be the true helper of man. Oh, it's beautiful. God is the masterful storyteller. And he makes a plan right there in the moment. And even in that plan, you know what he does? He takes, he kills the first animal and he covers their nakedness. But then what does God do? 
God helps us and mankind see our problem, does he not? Doesn't God help us? Doesn't he go through all the rickamarole of the Old Testament, going into slavery and then being released and then Moses and then the wilderness and the book of Judges and letting people do what's right in their own eyes and then giving the law and showing how heavy the law is and then going through the whole Old Testament to help us see our problem? Isn't that what it is? Then they come to Galatians in the book, in the New Testament and Galatians says the law is our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. All of this was God helping us see our great need for him. This problem called sin, this problem, the something inside of us is missing. God lets us see that so we will appreciate the provision that he brings. And does God provide church? Yes, he does. So what comes along in the story? God's provision as Jesus is born of the virgin. Jesus lives the life that we could not live perfectly to the law unto God lives the life that we could not live. And then he dies willingly on the cross, an innocent man and is forsaken by God. And for the first time in eternity, God is alone, not us. God is alone as Jesus is dying on the cross. And he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus feels in that moment, feels the separation from his father as God literally separates himself from Jesus, turns his back on him and forsakes him, his only son. You know, up to that point, you don't see much emotion from Jesus, but the moment he is left alone is the moment you see Jesus react in a very, very painful way because it is not good for man to be alone. You see that all the way back in creation? Do you think when God was just saying it's not good for man to be alone, he's just talking about needing a spouse? Because guess what? They were still married when they were kicked out, but they were missing something even greater. They were separated from God in that moment. It is not good for us to be alone, and that's the state of every single one of us. We are living our life in utter isolation and loneliness, alone from the God who made us, and that is why there is something deep inside every single one of us missing. Something's missing. Something's missing. It's not the new car. It's not the new house. It's even not the spouse. It's not the new job. It's not the finances. It's not the bills. It's not all of the stuff that I'm plugging my life with. At the end of it all, it satiates for a little bit, but then that hole is actually bigger once I come to the realization of it that none of that will actually satisfy. And for those who have placed their faith in Jesus, you're like, man, I've been, my cup is overflowing. I ran from him, but he pursued me and found me and gave me the solution through his son. And I see now that this is what we were made for. Jesus Christ, union with him and marriage screams that. And God is trying to show that all the way back in the beginning as the masterful storyteller to show us that this is the point all along. The provision through Jesus Christ. That's the solution. And then what's the state of those who place their faith? Abundant blessing, abundant blessing. So those who know Jesus can say this in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Everyone look right here. I'm about to pray. I want you to search your heart. Are you being plagued by the feeling that something is missing in your life? What is it? What is it you are striving and chasing after thinking that will make that go away? I'm telling you, if you don't know Jesus, it is Jesus. And you can come to him freely. All those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And he will give you this union, this union, this oneness that that is akin to the oneness and the completeness in marriage. 
and he will complete your life. Christian who does believe, maybe you're already plagued with that something's missing and you're starting to realize it's because you're, you're not spending time with the Lord. You're not praying. You're starting to go back to old things and you're starting to feel once again the void and the emptiness of nothing there. Turn and go back to Jesus and realize that everything you need is found in him. That is why we exist. That is why this church is here. And that's why till the end of each and every one of our days, those who know him, we will lift our hands and tell everyone, Jesus, Jesus is the one you're looking for. Let's pray. God, we have redemption through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, through the blood of your son. And God, you demonstrate your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, your son died for us. Father, forgive us. We miss that. We ignore that. We run from that. But God, I want to say personally, thank you for chasing me and pursuing me and not letting my prayers of leave me alone be enough for you. That you sought me and you found me and you showered me with mercy and grace. It showed me the completeness and the love that is in Jesus. And God, this world is dying and running from you like I was. And there may be someone here that's running and dying and filling their life with something that you know will not complete them. And they are plagued by the feeling that something's missing. Don't give the enemy foothold in their life to lead them to destruction. But God, let that be the moment the spirit grabs them. Draw them to you, God. Save them. Show them the mercy and the kindness that you've shown your people here. Father, we just want to say thank you. Be patient with us. And every single day, ignite within us the passion for the marriage that we have with your son. You will grow your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God for that word. Stand together. It's right to respond and say, God, you are awesome. Your ways are awesome. Your love is pure. I'll sing.
You know, I wonder in the perfection of the garden and relationship with the Lord God that Adam had, um, that Adam had with God, I wonder what it felt like to be alone because it was perfect. And I always associate loneliness with a negative feeling. Um, But here's what I'm realizing. And Jasper pointed right to it. Adam lived for a time, no matter how short, without Eve. So he could do it without Eve. He could live without Eve. You separate God from him, and he had relationship with God before the fall, before Eve. You separate God from Adam, and he is dead. And he is dead. And that's who we are as a people apart from the person of Jesus Christ. You can bring anyone into your life, relationship with anyone into your life, and think that that's going to fulfill you and bring you completion. But apart from the person of Jesus Christ, your efforts and your relationship will be in vain. Do not leave here. Do not leave here without knowing the person of Jesus Christ. We invite you to come forward. We would love to talk with you. And so we look forward to seeing you down here. And, uh, Okay, so we have, uh, we have a bit of homework to take care of here. I'm going to call Josh and his wife, Kara. She's already a member. Uh, we're going to recognize some members today. So Josh and Kara are going to come up. Kara's already a member, but Josh is not. Josh is my son, and this is my daughter-in-law. And uh, let's see. Josh and Mandy Fisher, I'm betting that you are um, joining us online. But we also have Adrian and Kelly Finkenbinder. So Adrian, come on down. Um, and let's see who we're we missing. Lori Beltran Del Rio, are you here? We're going to ask you to come on down as well. But you can see their picture scrolling. They, uh, they are declaring that this is their church home by joining us in membership. And membership, I know you can't point to book, chapter, and verse in the Bible where it says um, that you are to be a member of a church. But this is our, this is our modern day expression of saying, I commit to this church. This is my home, and I'm asking my church to hold us, to hold me accountable to living my life in relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's what this is. And so I know they're crazy and funny days, but uh, as you see fit and appropriate, we want you to welcome each one of these into this church by um, giving them a, I don't know, some form of hug or handshake. Okay. So they're here. Welcome everybody that has just joined the church. Next week starts our two-week series on Christmas. And uh, if you are at all able, we're asking you, we're inviting you, please come and be a part of our Christmas services over the next two Sundays. Know this church, you are loved, and we'll see you next time.